Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 19th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Galavan, Galavan, and Amelia, creators of the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is cost-effective e-discovery in small cases. We're pleased to welcome as our guest, Bruce Olson, the president of OnLaw Trial Technologies, a longtime litigator who specialized in e-discovery. Bruce is a longtime friend and co-presenter and also our co-author of the Electronic Evidence Handbook, Forms, Guidelines, and Checklists. He'll be lecturing on today's topic with Sharon at ABA Tech Show on March 29th in Chicago. Thanks for joining us, Bruce. Thanks, Sharon and John, for inviting me. I look forward to the discussion. Well, there isn't a small firm or solo lawyer in the country, Bruce, who has not despaired about the high cost of e-discovery. We hear this complaint all the time. What is the single most important thing an attorney can do to minimize e-discovery costs? I think the most important thing an attorney can do really has nothing to do with technology. It has to do with good lawyering, and it has to do with thinking through your case early on, understanding your case, and then planning accordingly. And it's the planning and the uh, specific attention to detail that enables you to develop an e-discovery plan uh, that can be done within uh, the constraints of a budget that is typically there when you're dealing with smaller cases. You know, Bruce, a lot of times, and I'm sure you've seen this too, you, you see the the discovery request that says, give me any and all and all those things. But but how important is it to to be more specific rather than general in, in terms of formulating your, your discovery request? Well, I think particularly in smaller cases, it's very important to be as specific as possible. You don't want to cause yourself to be buried in all sorts of electronically stored information being delivered by the other side. And you also want to try to work as cost efficiently as you can and the best way to do that is to be very targeted in terms of what you're asking for. Uh, so when you go about formulating your discovery demands, try to know specifically what you're looking for. Uh, try to phrase it as precisely as possible so that you limit uh, the amount of information that you have to deal with. That'll help you keep the cost down. You know, we we have found that Clients frequently do not understand that the meet and confer is not a single meeting. You and I both know it's a, a process. How does the meet and confer process fit into the efforts to contain costs? Well, I think it's probably one of the, the most important tools that you have, you know, and as you say, uh, although under the federal rules you have a mandatory meet and confer, which is uh, at least at one time circumstance, in the e-discovery world, I think that to be effective, you need to meet more than once, and you need to be uh, considering a meet and confer much earlier in the process so that you're able to discuss with the other side what you have, what they have, uh, avoid the need to engage in formal discovery to get the information about the IT infrastructure of the other side so that it can help you uh, develop those targeted discovery requests. Uh, it helps you uh, identify what you really need to preserve in order to meet your preservation obligations. 
and doing it again in a cost-effective way by uh, limiting what it is you have to uh, preserve or limiting how long you have to preserve something or determining that you really don't need to preserve much at all because it really isn't uh, germane to your case. And the meet and confer process is the way you go about doing that. Uh, it's an important tool and uh, one that you should use as a part of an ongoing process of developing the e-discovery uh process in your uh, smaller cases. Well, let me follow up with a question. Why do you think attorneys have such trouble with this meet and confer process? What What, what is the big hang-up with, with getting together and collaborating? Well, if, you're, uh, if you've been at it uh, practicing for a while, you grew up in an era of uh, zealous advocacy and the idea that discovery was a battle and the idea of cooperating with the other side was something that uh, was foreign. Uh, but e-discovery is a, a different animal, and it's clear in the case law that's developed. It's clear in terms of the statutory law that's out there uh, that uh, provides our rules that cooperation is a key. And the best way to cooperate and communicate is to do it within the context of the meet and confer. So it, it's oftentimes foreign uh, to uh, the litigator's normal mindset of battling every piece of the case but um, using a meet and confer and using it effectively doesn't mean you're necessarily conceding your strategic position in the case. You're just managing your case in a in, in a better way. Hmm. So, Bruce, I know you you've now moved over and you're you're doing forensics and, and e-discovery work, uh, you know, as a consultant. But when when do you see where there's the the need to seek outside help from from an expert? Do you do you see folks doing doing that or asking about that? Well, you know, what I what I do see is people uh, turning to experts way too late in the process, not thinking things through again uh, early on and deciding that maybe you need some help. And in particularly in small cases, if you're an attorney that has a limited background in terms of dealing with e-discovery and doesn't have a lot of uh, technological background, so you don't exactly know what it is you should be looking for or what you should be doing to preserve your client's information. Uh, spending an hour with uh, a consultant who knows what they're doing, uh, paying 250 to $350 an hour for that kind of advice is money well spent. It will save you lots of money downstream because it'll enable you to uh, formulate your plans in a more effective way. And of course, the biggest thing is it will help keep you from making mistakes. And uh, believe me, I've seen this happen where people uh, don't uh, want to talk to a consultant in the beginning because they think they uh, can save a little money. But by the time they're through having made mistakes in dealing with motions for sanctions motion and other motion practice, and then trying to explain to the client why uh, the attorney's fees have racked up over some silly uh, e-discovery dispute, uh, it it will cost much more in the long run uh, to to uh, not talk to uh, a knowledgeable consultant at the beginning of your case. And, and that's yeah. been kind of our, our experience as well, Bruce. But how, how can we solve that? <laughs> how, how do we get the attorneys to, to pay a little bit more attention to that? You know, it, it's a challenge. I think one of the biggest disappointments I've had over the uh, last five or six years is how slow 
the average practitioner has been to adapt to this world of e-discovery. Even though we're in a position where there are rules of civil procedure that are have been on the books for a substantial period of time now in federal court, many, many states have adopted their own e-discovery rules, and yet uh, the practitioners, particularly those whose practices involve smaller cases typically, uh, have stuck their heads in the sand and haven't wanted to uh, pay attention to what's going on. And really, uh, if you're in the world of, of smaller size cases, I think, frankly, you need to have a better understanding of e-discovery than you might if you're spending time litigating large cases where you have a whole team of people working on, on the issue. You need to understand what's involved so that you can take the appropriate steps to preserve your client's information and so you can figure out how to most efficiently get the information from the other side that you're going to need to, uh, to prove your case. And so you can't really uh, afford to ignore e-discovery. Uh, how we can persuade more people to pay attention to that uh, is uh, a challenge for all of us. It, it's interesting. I, I think both John and I agree with you. In smaller cases, you actually have to be smarter. In the larger cases, you've got more room and money mm-hmm. for stupidity, uh, but you don't in the littler <laughs> cases. So, what, what, what are your thoughts, These Bruce, are your colleagues on, you're talking about, Sharon. <laughs> yeah, it's okay. It's a podcast. Um, it just lives forever, right? It's electronic. Um, Bruce, what are your thoughts on self-collection efforts where the attorney is directing the client's IT staff to actually do the collection? Yeah, that's an important question because in small cases, oftentimes uh, uh, the attorneys are called upon to work with the client to try to collect uh, the available ESI. You may be looking for a limited number of email files or limited limited number of, uh, say, Word documents or Excel spreadsheets. Um, it's important that the attorney uh, knows what he's doing or she's doing before you get involved in the self-collection because if you don't know what you're doing, Obviously, if you make a mistake, you're running the risk of having to become a witness in the piece of litigation that you're involved in, and you want to avoid that uh, at all costs. But if you are knowledgeable, if you make sure you've got the the basics under your belt, it certainly is possible to go ahead and engage in self-collection efforts. There are some things you need to be aware of, obviously. Uh, The first thing is if you're dealing with situations where deleted information might be an important component of the case, then you're looking at the need for a computer forensics expert to come in and assist. You don't want to, uh, and you can't really typically with the tools available to you, do self-collection where you're looking for deleted files from a particular computer or file server. If you're not worried about deleted files and you're, you're really just looking for the active kind of files that are out there to be harvested from a server or from an individual PC, then I think you're in a position to be able to uh, do some self-collection work. And there are a couple of things that you want to keep in mind uh, as you approach that. The first one is to understand whether or not you think the metadata that's associated with the individual computer files is going to be important. If there's a potential that it's going to be important, you want to make sure you use tools that will enable you to collect the information while preserving the metadata uh, because once you've messed with the metadata, it's changed forever. And so you want to be sure you know what you're doing. On the other hand, the reality is in the vast majority of cases, you really only need 
the contents of the document or the contents of the spreadsheet, and you're not looking for uh, information about when the file was created or when it was last accessed or when it was modified. So you can agree with the other side that metadata isn't something that you're concerned with. My advice when you're dealing with that situation is to enter into some kind of a written stipulation so you're documenting your file uh, that you're agreeing with the other side to forego discovery of the metadata associated with the information. When you do that, then you're in a position where you can use the operating system's copy uh, features to be able to uh, copy information and burn it to a CD and send it to uh, the other side for their use in the case. But it's only if you know what you're doing and you know that metadata isn't uh, going to be involved in the case that that's really a safe uh, approach to use. If you think metadata may be uh, uh, an issue, then you want to use specific tools that will allow you to collect the information and uh, preserve the metadata that's associated with the files. Well, before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Gallivan, Gallivan, and Omelia, creators of the digital war room platform, Free Discovery. Do you need to strategize, review and produce documents for litigation, government investigations, or HSR second requests in a single e-discovery tool for every size and every type of matter? Digital War Room eliminates costly pre-processing of collected documents, realizing savings of 80% or more, and giving you greater control over e-discovery. Experience end-to-end e-discovery on your Windows desktop, on your internal network, or in our hosted review center. Download a free trial of Digital War Room Pro at www.digitalwarroom.com. That's digitalwarroom.com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. You never have enough friends or followers, right? Check out Legal Talk Network on Facebook and Twitter, LinkedIn too. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today we're talking to Bruce Olson, the president of OnLaw Trial Technologies, about cost-effective e-discovery. So, Bruce, how can a phased approach to e-discovery help to contain the costs? Well, a phased approach can be implemented in a number of different ways, and it really uh, can help minimize the cost because the idea behind it is to do certain limited amount of discovery first, see if you get any results that are pertinent, and then if you don't, you may decide not to do uh, any further discovery in the area, or you might decide to do some different types of discovery if the results are uh uh, good for you, you may decide to do further uh, discovery with other witnesses that way. But it's a way that you can limit what you're looking for until you're sure that it's giving you some um, useful information. And there are a number of different ways you can phase the discovery efforts. You may first decide that you only want to uh, conduct uh, e-discovery of certain limited numbers of witnesses. And only if those witnesses are providing useful information do you move on to more peripheral uh, witnesses in the case. 
you may decide that you just want to limit the kind of information that you're going to collect. So, for example, if you're dealing with a case that only has financial-related issues involved in it, maybe only uh, all you need to do is collect the uh, spreadsheet data, and you don't really need to look at all the email, and you don't need to look at all the Word documents that may exist in that particular witness's uh, uh, file share on, on the work server. Uh, on the other hand, you may decide that you know there's a limited time period that's involved from point A to point B, and you don't need to do discovery back, you know, for 10 years. You can put a date uh, range uh, uh, parameter on the discovery that you're uh, conducting. And then if you find that you need to go beyond that, well, then you can go back and, and do a second phase or a third phase to uh, move on to get more information. But phased techniques are a way that you can save money by initially limiting the amount of e-discovery that you're undertaking and then only expanding it if it seems that the results are warranted. Well, Bruce, let's let's get to some specifics here. Are, are there any software tools that you use or that you're aware of that can be helpful in containing costs in small cases? Well, there there really are a number of different tools out there that are helpful, um, and they run the range from free to uh, low cost to sort of medium cost in in my estimation. I think one of the uh, cheapest, uh, because it's free, uh, programs out there is FTK Imager, and that's a program that I know you're real familiar with, John, because of yep. your work in computer forensics. Why don't you tell us what that can do, and then I'll talk after that about another uh program called QuickView Plus that I think can be very helpful. Well, FTK Imager essentially is a uh, is a forensic acquisition tool, um, and you can do a complete image or you can do logical images, but but it does preserve all that metadata stuff that you were talking about, Bruce, and uh, and also gives you... You can also use it like a viewer, too, if you're not really sure what, what files might exist on a particular computer, and you can use the imager to go and look at it without fear of touching or manipulating any of that stuff uh you know up front but i agree with you it's 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 great and you can't get much lower cost than free can you nope that's true <laughs> well another low cost tool this one costs you fifty dollars and can be downloaded from the internet is something called quickview plus and i use it in situations where you get a cd from the other side and you may have say 150 or 200 files that are kind of a mix of pdfs and word docs and excel docs and uh, you know, you could take that CD and put it in your computer and open each individual file and review it. Uh, but in order to do that, you have to have the associated programs that uh, go with each of those. So if you get some more unusual types of programs, you may have to go out and buy some additional software, and you don't really want to have to do that. And you have to go through the, the process of opening and closing every file, which can be uh, a pain as you're uh, trying to quickly process through a uh, hundred or two hundred documents at a, a time. QuickView Plus is a viewer program that allows you to move from document to document, view the documents without having to open them in the individual program, and uh, as you view them, you can determine uh, whether something is particularly useful to your case, and if you decide it's useful and you want to print a copy, uh, you can print a copy right from QuickView Plus. So for $50, you have uh, something that will enable you to look uh, quickly 
at uh, a reasonably small volume of, of materials, but uh, doing it in a, in a quick and, and efficient way. Uh, another uh, very useful and inexpensive tool, given what it can do for you, is a tool called DT Search. This is a program that costs about $200, and this is one that typically you would use if you had a case where you were getting significantly more uh, electronic files to deal with than um, you would with QuickView Plus, and you want to have the ability to do searches within uh, the database of documents that you have, but you want to be able to do this without having to go to a full-blown litigation support uh, program. And DT Search will enable you to uh, take uh, a CD, for example, of uh, mixed types of documents. It will index those documents for you, and it will give you searching capabilities then that you can search on keywords, you can search on using Boolean constructions like you do typically in uh, doing legal research now. Uh, and there are other more advanced searching uh, options that are there for you. Uh, that uh, make it uh, a very useful tool at a very reasonable price. Uh, another um, useful tool uh, that uh, you should be aware of is uh, one that uh, our sponsors of this program produce, and that's the Digital War Room uh, product. And in the Digital War Room Pro uh, single-seat version, I think it costs around eight or $900, but that amount of money buys you a very full-fledged e-discovery platform that will able, enable you to take raw uh, electronic data, process it, and then use it as a review platform to determine what needs to be produced and then helps you uh, go ahead and uh, create a production set in either native format or you can produce the information as PDFs uh, to the other side. Uh, this is a particularly useful tool when you're presented with PST email files that the other side produces for you. You can't just look at a PST file. You need to have some way of unpacking the data that's contained in the PST file to get access to the actual email. And using a program like Digital War Room Pro will automatically extract the data uh, and put it into a database and give you uh, a way to view the data, search the data, and then determine whether it's relevant and ultimately produce that data that is relevant. So those are some software solutions that are either low cost or moderately priced that can be uh, very helpful uh, to a practitioner who's dealing with e-discovery in smaller size cases. Well, I, I think we only have time for um, one more question, Bruce. So let me ask you this one. Are, are there any cloud-based w solutions that fit the low-budget model that we're talking about here? Yeah, there are several out there uh, right now that are uh, moderately priced and really uh, do a good job for smaller cases. Two of them that I can mention are NextPoint and Lexby. Uh, and I would recommend that you go to their websites and take a look at those products. Uh, next point is one that's very similar to working with Google, which helps you if you're not uh, someone who's used to working in a traditional spreadsheet litigation support model. And Lexby is one that is a cloud-based version of more traditional uh, database-type programs. Either one is a great moderately priced uh, product that can help you 
uh, manage uh, e-discovery in smaller cases. Well, we sure want to thank you for joining us today, Bruce. We've always enjoyed working with you, and I know I'm really looking forward to our ABA Tech Show presentation together. Uh, Today was wonderful. Thank you for helping our listeners with small cases figure out how to keep costs down and still do e-discovery effectively. Well, thanks for inviting me. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And you can find out more about Sensei's computer forensics, technology, and security services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network. Its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.